It really is about that job satisfaction, mm. making someone well, returning them back to their loved ones, and and just having that that warm feeling that you get when you save someone's life. It's incredible, and I promise you, there's 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 no better feeling in this world than when you can make someone better and help a family through a difficult time. Πάμε παρέα σε μια καινούρια ημέρα. Πρωινή ακτίνα με μένα τη Γιούλα Πανταζή. Παρασκευή βέβαια σήμερα και έχουμε συνηθίσει να έχουμε την αγαπημένη μας γιατρό την Dr. Despina Adriana. She's a specialist physician and endocrinologist and she's with us. She's been taking the time to update us on the coronavirus pandemic. But not only that, she's also been giving us information on other topics that her patients have been asking for. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, Yola. I hope you're well and I hope all the listeners are safe and well. Even though the weather has suddenly turned, mm. at least uh, on the pandemic front things are looking better in yeah. South Africa. Thank goodness. I see it hasn't been totally flat. You know, we're still getting those 1,700, 1,000 cases a day. So it obviously is still continuing. What do professionals say about the, the numbers? So, you know, it's something we expected. We knew that when we started to relax lockdown and, and open up the economy, open up the schools, allow the restaurants, you know, and the coffee shops mm. to be open, that there would be intermittent spikes and then declines going forward because this virus is here to stay, unfortunately. Mm. I don't think it's going anywhere. I think it's going to become part of our winter flu virus spectrum. You know, at this stage, it's still infecting people in the summer months. So we are hoping eventually it will become like one of those winter respiratory viruses like its cousin, the other coronaviruses, yes. you know. We did last week see a 6% increase, so it did go up, and we have been watching it. But a lot of children going to school have relaxed mask wearing, um, have relaxed social distancing, and you can understand that after seven months of strict isolation and lockdown, I think everybody is fatigued. Now we have corona Mm. pandemic fatigue and we want to go back to our normal life as much as we can yeah we did expect it yeah the mortality rate we is still good it. and so things are still positive in the hospitals with all the people that are there the serious cases so the thing with the hospitals is the numbers are down the the number of icu corona admissions are down and the hospitals have remained places of high alert so the thing is that if you need a surgical procedure They will test you 72 hours before. Mm. And they've separated the hospitals. They're screening at the door. And the hospitals will stay like that. It's not, yes. not going to change. They've tried to keep up with what they were doing during the peak of the pandemic just to decrease the amount of patients coming to hospital and contracting the virus. So now they've actually become places where there's such a, a high alert and they're so aware that You know, the chances of contracting it are definitely not as high as they were a few months ago okay. of contracting it in a hospital. Okay. And the hospitals will stay like that. Yeah. And we as doctors are still in full PPE from the point of view we wear our shields, we wear our masks, we sterilize our rooms. So that will continue. Mm. Yeah, we so see patients that, uh, mustn't they... be scared to go to their doctors for checkups. Right. You know, that's the importance. Because I'll tell you one thing that's been missed this year, mm. a lot of the cancers have been missed. Yeah. A lot of the vaccinations have been missed. And it's a problem. So I do feel that people who have had certain clinical signs and symptoms 
and being too afraid to go visit their doctors. Mm-hmm. I do believe that now is the time because we are going to see our second wave end of February, beginning of March, like they're experiencing in Greece and Europe and America. Everybody, kids and adults, we need strong immune systems to fight a lot of these viruses, bacteria and fungi that exist in the world around us. And if we stay home and we sedentary and we put on weight and we don't mingle with other people, that actually impacts our immune system negatively. We need to expose our immune systems to whatever the world has and through healthy living, hope that we manage to fight it all. And in life, you need a bit of luck as well. And that's what I've seen in medicine. Mm -hmm. You can have a person, they live a healthy life, they don't drink, they don't smoke, they don't do illicit drugs, they exercise, they eat organic food, and problems happen. So we, we can't also go through life worrying all the time about what this virus is going to do or which cancer we're going to get because that unfortunately doesn't allow us to have a good quality of life. And it is difficult because what's happened now, because of all the social media and so much news, it's always in front of us. We're always reading Mm. about everything. No, it's very, very hard. And that's why today I wanted us not to go to a medical topic. I actually wanted to get into who is Des? Who is Despina Andrianis? And how you got into medicine? Because, you know, it's made us realize this pandemic, how important our teachers were and how important definitely our doctors were. But we've also realized the difficulty of the profession as well. And my question is, how did you get into medicine? What was it? Let's go in depth and kind of really understand what drives people to become doctors. And especially you, because we've heard you. We've had you on our radio show for months now. So I thought, let's get into knowing you a little bit better. What got you into medicine? You know, you know I think most doctors love discussing medical topics, but when it comes to personal topics, then you see mm-hmm. how, how reserved and, and <laughs> introvert we do become. Yeah. But I definitely will endeavor to answer all those questions. You know, medicine for me was an early calling. And I think a lot of the doctors that you speak to will yes. say that. From a young age, they wanted to become doctors. When you were so, still at school, you so just thought... No, so I remember a situation which, which always sits in my mind. I was a little three-year-old with very bad tonsillitis. Mm-hmm. And my mother took me to see my favorite GP in Germiston. I think he was everyone's doctor then called Dr. Black. I still remember his name, his <laughs> face, even his rooms near yes. that bridge in yes. Germiston. And he, he told me I'd be okay. I felt sick and grotty. He gave me this lovely lollipop to suck. And mm-hmm. in the car leaving, I mean, I can still see it clearly as I'm speaking wow. to you now. I said to my mother, one day I want to be a doctor like Dr. Black. Unfortunately, once we moved away from Jerusalem, I, I never actually knew what happened to Dr. Black. And, and I don't know if he ever will know how much he influenced me that day. Mm. But um, we all have something that drives us. That's so, amazing to think of you so little. After mm. that, every toy it is, it is. I was three. And then after that, every toy that I wanted was, was medical related. So my best toy was that little red doctor's bag with a white cross. <laughs> and I still sell it today. Yes. I mean, I've tried to buy it for my children. They didn't really like it as much as I did. <laughs> yeah. But something um, that was in you. I used to take you. that little red doctor's bag. And I used to always be the doctor in all little play roles we had. And my sister and my cousins were always the patients. What I wanted to just tell people is when you have that very strong calling for medicine, Mm. I did try and get off that path. Because when I was in matric, 
and we had a careers evening at, at our school, there was a female actuary talking and she came to speak to me afterwards because I used to really do well in maths. And, you know, I then was swayed to go into actuarial science and not oh. follow my destiny of becoming a doctor. Did you so start off with actuarial I science? I went home and told my parents, I'm no longer... Yes, so I went home and said to my parents, I'm no longer becoming a doctor, I'm going to be an actuary. So there was doom and gloom in the house, I didn't know what actual science was, you know, for 15 years I was going to be a doctor, and off I went to actual science. And when I started in actual science, and in the first minute, my lecturer then was already telling us how we're going to predict when people die. So the life expectancy of people in South Africa is at 60, is at 65 years of age. I then realized I made a mistake. Wow. And I didn't want to be planning when people would die. I wanted to be preventing them from dying. That's very inspiring. That well, is was so strong. And I went into medicine the following year. Uh, oh, so you still had to do that first year of actuarial science? I had to finish that year of actuarial science and then go into medicine thereafter. So interesting. So I'm one of those doctors that know that if I went back to school, I would choose medicine all over again. There wouldn't be a doubt in my mind. There wouldn't be a doubt in my mind. Wow. And you've already told us your first doctor that made you want to be a doctor. (laughs) Who else in your path were your mentors? You know, just to start off with that, because those people do inspire us and we want to be better so that we can be like them. So I think my first two very strong mentors were my parents because they were so taken in by the fact that I wanted to go to university, become a doctor, there weren't any doctors in the family. My grandmother, who lived in a rural village in Greece, mm. was the village's doctor. She used mm-hmm. to deliver babies or, or boil herbs from Tayeto to treat diseases. I don't know if the calling came from my grand, yes. because both my parents never had that urge to go into medicine, but my grand did. And from then, I was privileged enough to have these amazing professors who were very old school, who used to make us come to work in smart clothes and lab coats Mm. and treat patients with the utmost respect. And if we did one wrong thing clinically, we would immediately fail. Mm. I've I've been privileged to be trained by that caliber of doctors. And and those were world-renowned professors when I went to Wits Medical School in the late 80s, early 90s. They taught me how to practice medicine, and it's still the work ethic that I have today. And I'm hoping that the new doctors coming out are privileged enough to be trained by professors like I will. I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will because obviously it's passed down. It's knowledge that's passed down to people. So it only makes sense that they will will have the same kind of training. How many years has it taken you to get to where you are today as a specialist physician and endocrinologist? In order to specialize in medicine, you need at least 15 years. You know, when we were at med school, it was six years undergrad, one year internship. The medics nowadays do six years, two years internship, and one year community service. So they have added on an extra two years to what I've had. But it's 15 years, and the training is gruesome. Mm. We have long hours. I worked until I was nearly giving birth Mm. on my first child. We were doing 40-hour shifts. We were exposed to really severe viruses and bacteria whilst pregnant. So the thing with the training that the people don't realize unless you're in the training. It's very tough. It's very rigid and very soul-destroying and rewarding. So 
you've got to really be tough and really want a career in medicine for you to be a happy medical professional. That sounds really hectic. It's not as glamorous as people think. There's a lot of suffering and a lot of death. And it, and it does touch your soul. So it's, it's very tough, you know. There are a lot of people that go into it because they want the prestige of being a doctor. Mm. But I'll tell you, it, it really isn't as glamorous as people say. Wow. Yeah, Every yeah. single day you go to work, you have to deal with people's hardships. Yes. But it's tell people they've got cancer or a chronic disease. And then a lot of the time you have to resuscitate a patient that unfortunately doesn't make it. And even though most doctors may appear to be controlled on the outside, we do take that emotional trauma home. Of course. And we never forget any of those difficult moments that we have, you know. Are you able to tell us some of those difficult moments? Are you able to, on radio, just kind of talk about it a little bit? Because we love getting to know what's behind the scenes. It helps people understand when they are speaking to their doctor next time to kind of really have a different understanding and awareness. If we have a patient and we're worried that they've got something malignant, you know, if they're a child, if they're young, even if they're old and they're someone's father, mother, mm. even if they're in, in their 80s and they just, you know, still don't want to be sick and suffering. Of course. We, we definitely battle to break news and we appear to be controlled and deliver the, the diagnosis and the treatment plan and everything. But once those patients leave our rooms... From an emotional point of view, it plagues us. We don't sleep at night. We leave no stone unturned. There have been many times where I've actually sent blood results and, and radiological reports to America, to Australia. You know, we try and do the best that we can for that patient. And we, we really do feel their pain. And when we lose a patient and we stand in front of family and tell them that we've had an unsuccessful recess, People don't realize how we feel when we go home. I mean, we mm. are emotionally trauma. It does feel that we've lost a part of us. It's right. a very difficult profession. And as much as it is rewarding, because I'll tell you, when you are helping someone who's sick, they are at their most vulnerable in life. Mm. And if you can make them well and improve their quality of life, there's no bigger reward. Like a lot of people have said to me, why haven't you gone into corporate medicine? Mm. Or why haven't you followed that route? Mm. It, it's it's not about the earning potential of medicine because it really isn't as high as what people say. It really is about that job satisfaction, mm. making someone well, returning them back to their loved ones, and and just having that that warm feeling that you get when you save someone's life. It's incredible, and I promise you, there's 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 no better feeling in this world than when you can make someone better and help a family through a difficult time. That is so. And moving. I think that's what drives a lot of us, you know. Tell us some of those stories. Have you had it where, you know, you've seen a patient that maybe you didn't have a lot of hope, but then all of a sudden they made a fantastic recovery and you could go and deliver that news? How did it make you feel? So that's one of the, the best parts of medicine. When you tell the family to expect doom and gloom and they prepare themselves for the worst, and then a couple of weeks later we have better news to tell the family. I mean, you know, there's a lot of hugging and there's a lot of joy oh. and, and it's just wonderful. I've also yeah. had... Those patients where I've had a mom of young children mm. that hasn't made it. Yeah. And that's broken. I mean, uh, I've often come home and just been shattered. And then you've got to come home and be a mom. Well, this is what gotta, I wanted to ask you. You know, you've got to be a happy because huh? you can't come home mm. after you know your patient has died or doesn't yeah. have a good outcome. 
And then you've got these children who want you to be happy, yes. you know. So and I, and I wonder difficult. if it kind of hangs around you that you've got to be a little bit extra careful with your kids because you've got all this knowledge that maybe the rest of us that are ignorant, you know, we don't have to worry about stuff that we don't know about. How is that being a doctor and a mom? I think it's very difficult for children. And I'm very blessed that my children have a father like they've got because mm-hmm. he's, the, he's the opposite of me. So my children get a balance. So... You know, where I become completely obsessive about certain diseases or conditions or the pandemic, you know, he isn't medical and he will give him a different approach on the side view. So so my kids are are quite balanced like that because a lot of doctors are extreme personalities. We're very obsessive about certain things and we're quite extreme and, and we're very type A personality. A lot of us are very anxious people, or a lot of the physicians, you know. Mm. Other professions, like my daughter once said to me, if I become a doctor, I'm only going to be a dermatologist. Because when I go to the dermatologist, she's the happiest out of all the doctors that I've seen. So, uh, you know, it, it is heavy. It is heavy, and it's very difficult. I'll tell you the, the good and the bad things. The good thing is when, when one of my children is sick, I'm able to examine them, sure. come up with a diagnosis and, and implement treatment early. Mm-hmm. So that's worked in their favor. The yeah. other extreme is my boys want to play rugby and all I can see is C spine injury. You can see the injuries that you... It's a problem. Mm. You know, my husband says to me, well, then what sport do you think it's okay? Because hockey is a problem that can hit their jaw, and uh, golf is a problem <sighs> the ball may hit them. So it, it's difficult to be a mom yes, and to be, be a doctor, especially when you're doing internal medicine. Because unfortunately, internal medicine, we are the people that that the patients come to when they are at their most critical in life. So if they've had the op, then they get a bad infection and they complicate and they have death's door, they call the physicians. When people pick up pneumonias, infections, heart attacks, um, all the severe diseases, people call in the physicians. So is that we, what's internal? What's internal that's medicine? Internal, internal medicine is a specialist physician. So we specialize in all the organs of the body and we treat the sickest patients in the hospital. Hmm. And it is very stressful. How did you choose your uh, specialities? Why did you choose that? Because you're right, that is very hard. It's the toughest, but it's the most mentally challenging. So I wasn't ever very good with my hands. So as, as medical students, we were exposed to all different specialities and trainings in medicine. So we would go through the ENT, the psychiatry, general surgery, you know, we rotate through all the disciplines. Mm-hmm. And I always found that I didn't like any of the surgical disciplines. I wanted to be able to use my brain. Mm-hmm. And I preferred dealing with the, the sicker patients because it was like fitting pieces of a puzzle together to get to a diagnosis and then treat them when they are at the sickest part of, mm-hmm. of, of their life. And, and I found that very rewarding and very academically challenging because if I could study my whole life, that's what I would do. I mean, mm. I, I'm a born academic. I could just study. Wow. <laughs> so that's why I liked internal medicine. It involves a lot of studying and a lot of research and a lot of mental challenges. And it's very heroic because in those moments when people are going through their tough times, that's what they look to you as, isn't it? As a hero. This person is the person I look to now, my doctor. Save me. Save my life. So, you know, that is very It, it is. But when, when you can't save them, yeah. there's that level of guilt that nobody understands. Mm-hmm. Could I have done something else? Could we have had a better outcome? 
But most of us will leave no stone unturned to give patients the best possible medical care. And most of us, especially I know I do, treat patients as if they were a family member. And that is the safest way of actually managing your patients in medicine. One of our professors told us when we were taking the Hippocratic Oath, Uh. if you treat your patients like they're a family member, you will always give the best of yourself to patients. And that's what it's all about, doing the best you can, but knowing your limitations, because a lot of the times there are certain things that are out of our hands and certain conditions that we we just can't cure or we we can't prevent Mm. the outcome of death. And we need to set boundaries. So when I first started medicine, you know, I was that doctor that came home and told my parents, there's an abandoned child in the pediatrics Mm. ward. I was a fifth-year medic. I want to adopt the child. Then they were looking for a kidney donor for another child, and I wanted to go be tested. So it's very important to set those boundaries because it's emotionally a very draining profession, and what people don't know is how many doctors suffer burnout, suffer depression, or suffer suicide. So how do you you deal with that? Is it through uh, psychology, through going for groups of people that can support each other? What do you do? Because that it really, unless it's something that your soul knows how to handle, because that was a calling, which for me takes me back to that. I think it's difficult, Yula, because, you know, another psychologist always have to do a debriefing with another psychologist. Mm. But we as doctors are very... We're pretty much loner-type people. Hmm. So we try and deal with a lot of our, our emotional baggage by ourselves. When we can't, that's when we start to seek the help of other professionals. But we don't do a monthly debriefing, which we should. Hmm. I think it would be a good idea. And it, yeah. it is something that should look at because I think it will decrease all the psychiatric conditions that they do play doctors, the burnout, the chronic fatigue, and a lot of doctors neglect their own health mm. because they're so busy looking after their patients, then their families, and let disease catch up on themselves. You know, like a lot of doctors, I remember there was a doctor many years ago and I mm. went with my father and he was smoking. And I said to him, why are you smoking in front of my father? I mean, you know, <laughs> you shouldn't be smoking. Yes. And he said, I tell patients to do as I say and not do as I do. So, at the end of the day, we are, we are human, we do care, and we do carry emotional baggage, even if patients don't realize that we do. Because a lot of the time we'll speak to each other after bad diagnosis and that, and, and, and we're all gutted to, to tell a patient what, the, what their diagnosis is or, or the outcome of a recess. It really is something that we need to understand, you know, as the patient because we go off on our lives every single day and it's just interesting. I mean, as rewarding as your job is, as you say, there are those moments that are really soul-crushing. Tell us about the good moments, though. We want to end off with something positive. We want people out there to be able to go to their doctors, to trust their doctors, and also be very appreciative of all the years of studying that they've put in so that they can sit on that other side of the desk and put together the puzzle pieces of the healing journey as you've described it. You know, in my opinion, medicine is just one of the most fascinating professions because it puts you in that privileged position to be able to help people. People also trust you with their most intimate and sensitive mm. information. And one thing, they trust that you'll be loyal to them. And when they confide in you, they know that you're not going to go and discuss the medical or psychological or other concerns 
with your friends or the community in general. So it's very, very important that there is that trust between the patient and their doctor. Mm. You know, I think in medicine, we're able to witness the best and the worst in people because sometimes disease can bring out the worst in someone. I would imagine most times. That's what I'm saying. And then there's a lot of problems within the family, the children, and you get involved in that. Mm. It draws you in. And when you're able to then come out on the other side and have healed these conditions, come up with a diagnosis, successfully managed your patients, it's actually like the endorphin rush that people get when they run the comrades. I mean, I can't describe it. I love it. And it's it's a reason. You know, when you go to work and you enjoy what you do and you enjoy after all these years in the profession, you're still happy you chose that profession. I think very few people are able to say that after 20 years in in, in a certain profession. It's it's unbelievable, you know, the difficulties that you face as doctors, and yet, as you say, that it's still so motivating inside you to get to work, to help the patients, and you're still so driven. So that's what drives you. What about your takeaways for life? You've seen people that have passed away. You've seen people fight difficult diseases, survive it. You must have certain lessons that you have taken away for yourself to say, these are the things that matter. As a doctor, these are my wise words. So this is also what I tell my children, you know, having seen what I've seen in medicine, having worked through the government hospitals. You know, South Africa, we're exposed to a lot of different medical situations and our Mm. training is rigid, but really rewarding. One thing I must just say, you know, humility is very important. Respect for other people. When I go to work, I treat the cleaner the same way as I treat my colleague who's a specialist at the hospital. So I tell my children that everybody's profession, if you're a cleaner or you're a a petrol attendant, everybody's profession is important to them. You know, Mm. that's how they earn a living. You shouldn't speak differently to people who are doing different types of jobs that you may not consider as important as your own. I think that's, that's an important lesson. And we need to be kind. We need to be able to help people around us. The problem with our society nowadays, they put far too much worth in material things and a lot of the family moments have been sacrificed. And I think that's what COVID has actually brought to light. The fact that you were then forced to spend time with your family and reassess what's important in life. I think before COVID, people were so driven by other material things that they were forgetting to spend time with family and friends and people that that they care about. Mm. And, And you know, your life is very short and we see that in medicine. And your life unfortunately can change from one minute to the next. So try and spend more quality time with your loved ones. Try and, with your children, try and do things that will leave lasting memories in your children rather than, you know, buying them things to keep them quiet or um, allowing them to be on their computer all day because you don't want to take a walk with them mm-hmm. or play with them. So that would be my take-home yeah. message, that life can change from one minute to the next so and that time, and time. What I'm hearing is that time is our most valuable possession, and you know, so often doctors may have to realise that time is now running out. So and that's what we do realise as doctors, because we are delivering good and bad news all day, and we know from one minute to the next, we can tell people news that changes their entire life. Sure. So that would be my take-home message: 
try and do more rewarding, valuable things in life, you know, and, and slow down. I think our life is too fast. Slow down and try and enjoy the moment. Mm-hmm. Enjoy nature. Be present. Right. Especially in your children's life. They grow, they so, grow quickly, up so quickly. So quickly yes. We blink and they grow up. Mm. And you don't realize. It really is. It's just wonderful to listen to your words. And after all we've been through with COVID and all the frontline medical professionals being in the front, for us to just reflect on that and really take it in and say, what would we feel like if we were in the front lines and dealing with these issues every day? And how long did it take my doctor to get to where he is today or she is today? It really is something that we need to internalize, understand. So really thank you for that. What do you tell patients? What is the success factor that you see that some patients have in a difficult disease or illness that helps them to survive? Because I think that also might be good knowledge for us to hear. I think the best is teamwork. So if we get in a team of doctors and professionals that will help the patient, you know, what I do when I have a patient with a, with a difficult condition, I try to source the people who I feel, the medical mm. professionals who I feel, are the best possible professionals to get this patient through. So teamwork is the most important, and, and that will successfully get the patient to a better outcome. And a sense of having friends and family around them. I've had patients who are all alone. They have no family, mm. they have no friends, and I'm the only person that they've got to phone or, or help them. And it's very difficult for yeah. those patients. It's do you very find difficult. that they fare worse? They do, because they, they fare worse mentally. And unfortunately, when people fall into very deep depression, it does affect your immune system and your health in general. So they do fare worse. Mm. People who have their loved ones around them, strong sense of support, really do fare better in most medical conditions as much as is possible. Wow. How important is the bedside manner for a patient of a doctor? I mean, I know it's difficult because you're all going from one patient to the next and you're all, as you say, emotionally full sometimes. But how important is that as well? You know, Yula, I feel it's of utmost importance. And that's why I weigh so heavily on it and try and give my patients the best bedside manner that I possibly can because I have been a patient. And I know how I'd like to be treated. And when I haven't been treated the way I treat my patients, I know how I have felt. And I think patients want a doctor who comes across as caring about their illness because I think then they they have a better relationship and a better sense of trust when it comes to putting their life in that doctor's hands. Because that's what the patients do. Especially when you're a specialist working at a hospital level, we get the sickest of patients. So when they come to us, we have their life in our hands. And any mistake we make can end up in death. And and that's the weight that we carry. Mm. And that's why we study every single day of our lives until we stop practicing and even retired doctors continue reading, and why we are forced to do so many CPD points a year. We are forced to do and attend webinars, conferences Mm. every single year. We have to attain a certain amount of points to be able to continue looking after patients. So I think that question is very relevant, and I think bedside manner is very important, and and doctors do need to maybe spend more time at the bedside talking to their patients and explaining the disease. It was difficult during the corona pandemic 
And, and we need to understand that. Because of course. Of course. Doctors and nurses were completely exhausted and drained. And they were few and they were our most valuable commodity. And we couldn't That's afford that one doctor can get sick and then how many will suffer because That's of it. Yes. Uh, I think it's just been such a wonderful in-depth view into doctors and also into you, Dr. Andrianus, because we've loved listening to you. And it just gives us perspective. I personally have thoroughly enjoyed hearing about your journey. And I, I know I've experienced it when I thought I had COVID your messages. And you weren't even my doctor. You were just my friend. And you were just saying, you know, how are you and so on. And I know other people that you've treated, how you've been so caring to them. So I think people need to know that. And I'd like to put that out there on the radio. How much you care. So thank you for that. It's important. We've got a wonderful community of people full of amazing jobs and talents. And you're certainly one of them that have really contributed. So thank you for that. And keep doing your amazing work. I know that people trust you and they come to you and they listen to you. And I mean, that's invaluable. It's invaluable in those hard times of life. Thank you, Yula. And it does bring about a sense of reward and warmth to my life. So it's definitely an amazing profession and people need to form good relationships with their doctors because we definitely are there to look after you, to care for you, and to be there through your tough times. Yeah. Well, we want to be there as well just to care for you and to know exactly how much work has gone into you being where you are. Thank you for that. I really appreciate Thank it. You. And I loved it today. You know, it was just a more upbeat show so that we can get a little bit of knowledge inside, you know, Dr. Andrianus and uh, appreciate you just that little bit more. Have a beautiful weekend. Enjoy it. I hope it's relaxing. We hope that the COVID pandemic is slowing down and that all over the world it will do so, hopefully, and that we'll have good news for the people and medical frontline professionals as well. We have to deal with this? I think it will be better. I think doctors are more confident in treating this virus and I don't think they are scared of the outcomes of of this pandemic. So I do feel that we will have better results going forward. Thank you very much. Have a good week. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Andrianis. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It's the Morning Drive Show on Hellenic Radio.